to you, O God, we pray, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, our rock, our refuge, and our redeemer. Ever have one of those experiences when you studied really hard for a test you needed to do well in, and you thought you had covered all the material, and then you get to the test and you find out it's really not what you studied for? There are questions you just didn't anticipate, or maybe you emphasized one thing and this test emphasized another. Anyway, it's a disappointment. And you wish, just wish, that what you thought was important in the text would be important in the test. Well, Matthew's Gospel tends to follow that direction. The Gospel of Matthew actually has a text, that is, what it means to be a disciple of Christ, as taught by Jesus throughout Matthew's Gospel. And it has a test. The test is the text that we read today, the judgment at the end of time. This is very helpful because when you put this scene of the end times within the framework of Matthew's Gospel, you see the continuity and are able to interpret it more richly and more fully. You see, Matthew's Gospel is structured in ways that describes Jesus as both the new Moses or the new David. Uh, in terms of the new Moses, there are five blocks of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. And each of these blocks of teaching uh, echoes the five books of the Pentateuch, the five books of the law. And in fact, the first block of teaching is the Sermon on the Mount, which begins with nine blessings or beatitudes and one promise, echoing the Ten Commandments. So the image of Moses and teaching and giving law, especially on the mountain, in some ways is the table of contents. It's the syllabus for the text of what it means to be a disciple that Jesus is going to be teaching through the rest of Matthew's Gospel. By the time you get to the end, you're in a very different place than a mountainside in Galilee. So let's roll back a few chapters before this passage in Matthew 25 and frame this passage in that context. So we begin by hearing the cries of Hosanna. Chapter 21, Jesus is entering Jerusalem, it's Passover. He is developing momentum. There's enthusiasm by both the people in Jerusalem and those who are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, who have heard about this Jesus, that maybe he, he is the one, the Messiah they've been waiting for for so long. Maybe he is going to be the one like David to restore the Davidic kingdom, to create that new Israel in the Holy Land, and to rid the Jews of being part of the Roman Empire. So Jesus enters on a fold. He enters with people throwing their cloaks down in front of him and palm branches down in front of him, sign of his royalty, expectations of a royal entrance of the new king. But Jesus, rather than energize his base once he gets to Jerusalem, creates controversy, stirs the pot. He goes to the temple 
And he clears the temple court, that area where Gentiles and God-fearers, people who are interested in God, the Jewish God, could go to learn more. But because of all the booths that were set up to sell and all the buyers that were in between the booths, there was no room. So Jesus clears out that space, leaving a very different taste in people's mouths. Jesus returns to the temple. And there he confronts and is confronted by the religious leaders. There Jesus takes them on directly. And in fact, at the end of chapter 23, Jesus is concluding with a series of woes or curses against the religious leaders and then concludes with a lament. Lamenting that he deeply desires to embrace Jerusalem and hold it tight as God's chosen city but knows that they will reject him, not being the sort of king that they desire, even though he is the sort of king that they need. Jesus then leaves the temple, and he leaves with his disciples, and as he leaves, he points back to the temple, and he says, not one stone of the temple will be on another stone. It will be completely level. There won't be anything left of it. It's going to be destroyed. Now, you can imagine how shell-shocked the disciples must have been. From Hosanna to this rant he just had in the temple against the religious leaders, and this lament over Jerusalem, he has lost all the momentum that he had, and they are probably somewhat perplexed. And now, he says, the temple that was just recently completed is going to be destroyed? When is this going to happen, they ask? For the next two chapters in Matthew, 24 and 25, Jesus offers a response. It begins with a vision of the end times that involves persecution. This eschatological vision of the believers of Christ being dragged before leaders and persecuted for their belief. Jesus then turns to two parables. Parables of preparation the ten virgins, the three stewards, the, the texts that we've heard preached the last two weeks. Texts that remind us to be ready, to be good stewards, to use what we have and, and be diligent in it until the one returns. And then Jesus returns to that vision of the end time. This time it is the Son of Man, the eschatological Messiah that is on the throne a royal leader, a king. And this royal son of man is seated in judgment. And all of the nations are before the throne. The images that you're going to hear in this passage are common images in the Hebrew scriptures. Images for God's relationship to Israel and God's relationship to the world. In Psalm 100 that began our service today, we heard all of the earth, all of the nations come and worship the God. For God is your shepherd. He created you all. The image that God is shepherd of all people and invites all people to worship God, to give him praise and thanks. For he created us all. We did not create ourselves. In Ezekiel, you have a similar understanding of sheep and shepherd, but used in a different way. Um, 
Ezekiel offers a vision from God in which it begins by describing the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, as being bad shepherds. The sheep are, are scattered. They're unprotected. They're, they're not getting safety. They're not getting uh, the food they need. So God's going to step in in their place. He's going to dismiss the bad shepherds, and he will be their shepherd as God. God then, dismissing those evil shepherds, gathers the scattered flock, protects them, gives them pasture on the hills of Jerusalem, gives them the opportunity to restore themselves. But then, Jesus begins to judge the flock. There are some sheep that have been selfish. They have been uh, self-important. They are fat. Meanwhile, there are other sheep in the flock that are less well. They are too lean. And, and those the least are the ones that deserve the care of the shepherd. Those who are fat deserve the justice of the shepherd. So the shepherd feeds them justice. They're good medicine, if you would. Meanwhile, the shepherd offers compassion to the least in the flock. Then, in Ezekiel, a royal shepherd, one like David, will take the place of him. That person will be the shepherd, and God will return to his place in heaven. You can hear those images now in Matthew 25, in this image of the Last Judgment. It is all nations before the throne, before the shepherd, if you would. All people are there. And the shepherd is going to separate the sheep from the goats. Different than Ezekiel, where the shepherd is separating sheep who chose to be selfish from sheep who were penalized by their selfishness. Here, the shepherd is separating sheep from goats. That is, their very nature is what allows them to be judged. He separates them according to their actions. What have you done? Or so it appears. We did all these things or didn't do all these things. You did them to me, Jesus said. When did we ever do these to you? They replied. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, the least of these, my family. Here is probably most likely an allusion to the earlier prediction of persecution that began this section in Matthew's Gospel. Here is the judgment for those who persecuted the church. Those who received the merciful by offering them mercy. Those who were compassionate on them. Those who loved. Those who did the things that were identified in the Beatitudes. Who are the blessed of God? Who are the ones who inherit the earth? Who are the ones who result as residents in heaven? It is the poor in spirit. It is the mourning. It is the ones who are compassionate for the pains of the world. It is those who seek righteous, righteousness, those who are pure in heart. It is those people who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So now, here at the end, those values, those identities that were named at the beginning are the discriminating factors to determine who's judging. Jesus, as the divine king, says, what you've done to the least of these, you have done to me. 
These are the people who have embodied the Beatitudes. They enter heaven. Those who rejected the people who be embodied the Beatitudes, those are rejected by God. Well, this makes us feel rather comfortable, doesn't it? Because after all, we are simply the category by which other people are judged. If it was only that simple. You see, the expectation is that we, in fact, are those people. That we are, at our core, merciful, just, loving, compassionate, inclusive, generous. And that if we fail to do so, we have no right to be called the sisters and brothers, the family of Christ. And so, we feel a little bit itchy, a little bit nervous. Maybe this is about us and us being judged as well. This is Judgment Sunday, after all. One of the most unique days in the church year. Unique because so very few people have ever celebrated it. It's unique to the Finnish and Swedish Lutheran churches who ended the church year with the theme of judgment. What's unique about it, though, is its genius. Because as you get to the end of the year, realizing that you fall short of what it means to be a disciple, the next Sunday you're reminded, but God will send you what you need. God will send you a Savior. So Advent begins as a response to the ill will that we feel about being judged on Judgment Sunday, knowing that the God who judges us loves us and sends us God's own Son on our behalf. Friends, in this day and age of COVID fatigue, of political malaise, of increasing and rampant inequality and exclusivity. In this day and age, when there is so much darkness and so little light, might we grow into being the people God would have us to be, merciful, just, compassionate, loving. And might we be a light, the light of Christ to the world, and just as the text was laid out at the beginning, here is the values I'm looking for, and the judgment was declared, and the test was, was fair. In the end, Jesus sends us, the disciples, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, out into the world to make more disciples, to make more sheep, less goats, to change people's lives with the good news. Hear the good news. Our Lord and Savior, who judges us, is also the one who loves and has died for us. For this we give God thanks and praise. Amen.